there was a group of business executives uh, in, a, in an airport one day. They're on their way home from a conference and they're all, they're, they got held up and they're, they're late for the plane. So they're, they're pushing their way through the crowd and, and one of them inadvertently just bumps a, uh, there's, there's a, a, a stand there, like it's an, a, an apple stand, an apple cart. One of them bumped it and, and you know, the apples went everywhere. But because they're in such a hurry, they, they couldn't do anything. They just had to keep going to try and catch the plane, except for one of them who thought, oh, no, I can't just do this. And he turned around and there was apples all over the ground and no one was stopping. People were just walking through and uh, it was a bit of pandemonium. But this one guy quickly, you know, tried to uh, rectify the situation and he was so glad that he turned back because he realised that the young girl who was looking after the apple stand was actually blind. He tried to gather all the apples as much as he could and the ones that were bruised and damaged he put into a bucket somewhere over there and reset set up the stand again and made it look presentable and he pulled out some money about 40 bucks i think and and gave it to the young girl and he said to her look i hope we haven't you know ruined your day completely and uh but look everything should be okay now and and he turned to turn to walk away and she called out to him and said hey mister um you turned back and and uh, she said are you jesus Or we could reframe that question and we could say, um, is Jesus like you? And it just makes us think this morning about um, that issue. Of, you know, what, what is the, what's the representation of my life that people are seeing? What is there about my life that people can see that, that characterizes me as being a follower of Jesus? Someone that people would, would really want to know. Someone that's, that's, you know, that's life-giving and in, in my actions and my character and, and behavior and, and language. And so um, I want to share with you this morning, just for a few moments, we're not going to go too long, but I want to just share with you some things that have been important in my life. Uh, I wrote this list a long time ago of, um, call them characteristics or things that I wanted to aspire to, to be a Jesus follower. Now, you know, I, I'm not, I'd love to be able to tell you this morning that um, that I'm, I'm a model, <laughs> a model in some of these things that you could actually follow as well. And there's nothing really wrong with that because the Apostle Paul said, you know, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'd like to be able to tell you that this morning, but I, I think it would be a little bit presumptuous. So what I'm just going to share with you this morning is a list, a very short list of seven things that I'm aspiring to, and maybe it'll be an encouragement to you as well. Uh, these are things that I think a Jesus follower should be and so uh, I hope that it can, can mean something or can be valuable to you in, in your life. First one is faith. Um, I want to be a person of faith. And so that is going to work when we go to the next slide. There it is. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to read one scripture out. This is not going to be very long at all. But um, for every one of these qualities, I've just got one scripture, though there are many, many of them. But the first thing, Hebrews 11, verse 1, you you may have known this scripture or heard of it before. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. And friends, I want to say to you this morning, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, or if you want to you know, open up your heart to God, the starting point is to have a faith 
a fundamental belief that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. You know, I want to tell you, friends, God is real. God is true. And uh, it's only when I start to believe that, start to express that and open my heart to God that he starts to come into my life and starts to make a change in my life. Now, some people have said, or it's been said before, that faith in God is a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. That's an actual quote from someone who, who said that. Um, I don't believe that. I, I don't think that's true at all uh, because there's a lot of people in the world that are very, very secure in themselves, who are very intelligent people, who are very smart people, who've got an absolute rock-solid and concrete trust and faith in the living God. I'm going to mention a few. At the risk of name-dropping this morning, I try and avoid name-dropping, but I'm going to mention some names of some people. You might have heard of some of them uh, who, who have a faith in God. Number one, these are all scientific people, okay? Um, from the 15th to the 17th century, some of the smartest people around, like Leonardo da Vinci. Okay, now you all know that he's probably the world's greatest painter of all time, an artist of all time. But he was also uh, an amazing uh, engineer and an amazing architect. He wrote detailed studies in anatomy, physics, optics, biology, hydraulics, and even aeronautics. Like the guy designed a helicopter in the 1500s. I mean, who does that stuff? Um, all these things were far in advance of his time. And yet, his painting of The Last Supper shows that Leonardo da Vinci had a deep understanding of God, or at least was a very religious kind of a guy. We, we know that he was, he was very connected to, to, the, to the Christian world. We know that for sure. What about Johann Kepler? Now, uh, so if, you're, if you're a scientific person, you're going to know some of these names. Uh, he's the founder, basically the founder of astronomy. He's the guy who thought up how we can study the stars and we can learn about them. The founder of physical astronomy. He said this, It befits us to be thoughtful, okay, a bit of old English here, all right? Be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather, above all else, of the glory of God. He's, he's conscious of God in the world. He's conscious of what, how the world works as, a, as an expression of God's, God's character and God's creation. What about Francis Bacon? He established, I know you're thinking about bacon now, all the guys. And <laughs> Francis Bacon, famous scientist, he established the scientific method. This is what he said. He said, there's two things we really need to study in life, two volumes. Number one is the Bible. Number two, the volume of the natural world. Study the natural world around, around him. Robert Boyle, um, the father of modern chemistry. These are all the founders of all these aspects of science, man. He was a humble, witnessing Christian who devoted much of his own finance to Bible translation work. Now, this, this is an amazing, amazing person. What about Sir Isaac Newton? You've probably heard of this guy, you know, how, like how the apple on his head, you know, dropped off. Um, he discovered the universal law of gravity, laws of motion, developed calculus. We're not going to hold that against him. Um, he developed the particle theory of light propagation. Most people don't know that Isaac Newton wrote lots and lots of books about biblical subjects, especially prophecy, actually. Wrote heaps of books. And he said this, I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history whatsoever. What about Michael Faraday? 
he was um, one of the greatest physicists of all times. Uh, Samuel Morse, the guy who invented Morse code, uh, he, uh, his first message ever sent in 1844 on Morse code, he said his first words were basically in today's language, what has God done? Um, Lord Kelvin, who held the chair of natural philosophy at the University of Glasgow for 54 years, and accumulated 21 honorary doctorates. I don't know how you do that stuff, but um, he was just honoured so much for his scientific contributions. I'm talking here, friend, about the smartest people that have ever lived. And these are all people who were absolutely rock solid in their faith and their grasp of the reality of God. Don't let anyone ever tell you that religion or, or faith in God is a crutch or something, you, you know, for people who don't know what they're doing. That's just garbage. I, I want to tell you, friend, that trust in a supernatural being is absolutely the foundation under everything that makes life worth living. And uh, if, if maybe you're here today and, you, and you've never really had that place or that, that point of trust in God, it's time to start. It's time to say, yeah, you know what? What he's saying actually makes a bit of sense. And so I encourage you this morning to think about that. Do I really need a firm foundation under everything that makes my life w worth living? Of course I do. And so do you. We need that foundation, which is a faith, an unshakable faith in God. Here's the thing. As humans, we are really limited in our perspectives. We think, we think we've got life worked out. We think we know what we're doing, but actually we don't. Because we're seeing from such a limited perspective, we're only seeing uh, things on the surface. We see it, we see a small part of what exists, okay? But in actual fact, it's a cylinder. What's the problem? The problem is that we are so two-dimensional in our understanding. We only see things from a certain angle, a certain viewpoint, and in actual fact, God sees things from other, other ang every other angle. How many dimensions does God have? We don't know. We have no idea. But here's the point. God sees things that you and I can't see. That's why I need to have a foundational trust in God and realize that He's far, far higher than, than I am, than my ways, than my understanding. I only see a little bit of what is, but God sees everything that, he, that exists because He created it. That's the way God is, the way He works. Second thing that we need to have in our life is vision, faith and vision. Now, you might, some people think that vi faith and vision are the same thing. Not really. Faith is about um, what I've got in my heart right now that relates to the future. But vision is what I can see of the future in my life. There's a, a famous verse in the Bible in the book of Proverbs that says, if people don't have a vision, their lives are unrestrained. I'm going to read it from the message translation. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Another way of saying that is uh, their lives are unrestrained. See, what happens, friend, is that when you've got a, a vision for the future and you know what God is doing in your life, vision has the capacity to contain or narrow our lives so that we don't waste our lives. A person with no vision for the future is probably living 
a fairly wasteful kind of existence. Think about money, for example. Think about your finances. You know, if you've got a goal, an objective, uh, you know, in five years' time, I'm going to buy a house or I'm going I'm to do something, travel around the world or whatever. If you've got a goal to do something like that, what, what, does, that, what does that do to your budgeting? It means, well, I'm not going to buy that chocolate bar that I would like to buy or I'm not going not not to do this. I'm not, it constrains our behavior. Vision narrows our behavior. Without vision, the Bible says, people are unrestrained in their actions and in their lifestyle. And I just know that vision, friends, is, a, a, is such an important thing that we need to have. Vision in our life. Number three, oh, this is going to be pretty quick, okay? So wisdom. The third thing that I see and, and I believe is a Jesus follower, I, I want to have, I want to be a person of wisdom. In fact, most of these little, these are groups of two, most of these things together. Wisdom, the next one after that is boldness. We're just going to about wisdom for a start. And we're going to go back to wisdom. You need, if you're going to have boldness, you need to have wisdom first because it's okay to be bold, you know, to be able to say whatever you want and, you know, to be strong and courageous. But if you don't have wisdom, you know, it's probably going to get you in a bit of trouble. So that's why I want to have wisdom first. So if you don't know what you're doing, the Bible says, pray to the Father and he, he loves to help. You'll get his help and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. So what's he talking about here when it says wisdom? Well, it's, it's much more than just knowledge, friends. You know, um, it's possible to acquire knowledge. You know, we've got very well-developed, you know, in, in Australia and in, in, our, in our civilization. We, we've got very highly developed systems of acquiring knowledge, don't we? Um, I mean, you can even think about the internet and Google if, if you want to think about that. But let's talk about school. Let's talk about university. All those, and, you know, the multitudes of ways that we can acquire knowledge. Knowledge doesn't give you wisdom. There are people that have got a lot of knowledge but don't necessarily know how to apply it wisely. Wisdom that he's talking about, that James is talking about in this passage, he's talking about the everyday decisions of life that we have to make. He's talking about the, the, the skill that we need for living, the ordinary business of getting on in the world. It's definitely not an intellectual kind of thing that he's talking about. And I, I love this. There's another verse in Proverbs that says this, that says that God gives wisdom. So that's why I pray. You know, it's one of the things that I pray for. You know, God, I, I need your wisdom. Probably, I'm not sure about every day, but, you know, I hope, hope I can pray every day. God, give me your wisdom. Because it doesn't come that easily. It's not just everywhere you look. Wisdom has got to be something that you acquire from God. Number four is boldness. So uh, I love this verse in Proverbs. It says, The wicked are edgy with guilt, ready to run off, even when no one's after them. But honest people are relaxed and confident, bold as lions. Or another translation says, the wicked run away when no one is, watching, no one is, running, is chasing them. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, what I like about that, friends, is the Bible makes it really clear that if you've asked Jesus into your life and you've become a follower of Jesus, it says you are righteous, now, that, that just means you are in right standing with God, okay? So, you know, uh, so y- you and God are okay. You're, you're doing good together, all right? You know what I'm saying? You're right with God. 
If you're a Jesus follower, you're right with God. Now, it's important for me to say that. It's important for us all to know that because there's someone like a little voice that sits on your shoulder all the time that's telling you you're not right with God. You know, I know I've talked about this before, but, you know, we need to be confident in that to know that you are right with God. And what that says is the righteous are as bold as a lion. So you don't need to be afraid of anything. You know, you don't need to be edgy with guilt, as it says, and, you know, ready to run off all the time. When I get that revelation in my heart that I am the righteousness of God because of Jesus, then that gives me confidence, you know. And um, we need to have that. Would you agree? We need to have that kind of confidence. Boldness. Boldness that comes from knowing that you're right with God. I mean, fair income, what else really matters in life? You know, you can say, oh... I look at my bank account, no, no, I'm doing okay, therefore I can have confidence. That could be wiped off in a moment. You know, I know people, I know people who've, um, for example, you know, maybe you've got superannuation, something like that. I know one guy who just retired, you know, on his superannuation, but the market changed and all of a sudden he couldn't have to go back to work again because it just didn't work for him. So look, things, things can work that way, unfortunately. And so, but if you've got confidence in God, you can be absolutely confident because that's a rock-solid foundation for our lives. The fifth thing is integrity. And um, this has been this is something I've thought about quite a lot. It comes from a Latin word, which means just the word integer. Integer means wholeness or like a whole number, a whole number, integer. And um, what, what it means is, when I say, you know, I, I want to be a person of integrity, um, what that means is there's only one of me. A sense of being complete or whole, so there's only one of me. What that means is that the, the, the private person and the public person is the same person because there's only one of me. And, and I want to encourage you this morning to say to yourself, I want to be a person of integrity. Because integrity will protect you, the Bible says. Integrity will keep you. Integ- if, you if you're a person of integrity, it, you know, it, it, it's a, ma- a massive thing in your life. It helps you. You don't get into, in, into nearly so much trouble when, you, when you've got a basic integrity in your life. So someone said that integrity means who you are when no one's looking, when no one's, when no one's watching. Okay, that's fair enough. David... Um, like King David in the Bible, he says, I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. What he's saying there is when no one's watching, when I'm at home just doing my own thing, I want to I lead a life of integrity. I want to be a person that others can look up to. I want to be someone who's honest and real when I'm at home when no one's watching. But, you know, David was, was more than that. Uh, it just it wasn't just when he was on his own um, for example, before David became king, a long time before he became king, um, he'd been prophesied over, and someone had said, "One day you'll become the king and so uh, David knew there was something on the inside of his heart he knew that he would become the king, but the existing king heard about it, King Saul, and he didn't like this. 
He thought, well, hang on, who's this young upstart that's going to try and take over from me? Saul was incredibly jealous. And he spent year after year, probably about 15 years, trying to hunt David down so that he could kill him and destroy him. Here's the funny thing, or not funny, it's incredible, that um, it happened more than once that David's with his followers somewhere and, and all of a sudden Saul, Saul shows up there and um, through a variety of circumstances, Saul was completely vulnerable. David could have taken his life like that. David could have wiped Saul out in a moment of time so easily. And David's men are saying, hey, David, now this is the moment. This is the moment God spoke of when he said he would give you the kingdom. Now, David, just take your sword and just run, run Saul right, right through in a, in a moment of time. But David absolutely refused. And he said, hey, listen, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And he refused to do that. Because what he was saying is, I refuse to take this kingdom on my own or by my own actions. If I'm going to become king, God has to put me there. The only way it's going to happen is if God puts me there. He said, I'll not touch the Lord's anointed. So friend, here's the thing. It's more than just who you are when no one's looking. It's also who you are when everyone's looking. Integrity means there's only one of me. And I think David was the same whether no one or everyone was looking. He was a lover of God and he was determined to follow in God's ways. And he was determined that it would only be God that would promote him. I love that verse in 1 Peter chapter 5. I think it's verse 7 that says, um, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will promote you at the right time. God's right time. He knows when the right time is. You know, He will promote you and me at the right time. That's the way God works. Number six is anointing. You know, something I really desire in my life. I want to be a person who is anointed by God. What does that mean? Anointed. Well, it just simply means divine enabling. Now, if you're a student of the Bible and, you know, you know that uh, in the Old Testament, they used to, like um, the priests and kings and people like that, they would get like uh, oil, uh, olive oil or some kind of oil, and they would pour it over people's heads and it would just run down all over them. That's what they used to do in those days. They would, they would um, anoint people as a sign or, a, or symbolically that, that uh, they were uh, taking on a new role in, in God. But in the New Testament, it basically just means God's power coming on someone. So let's read. This is what Jesus said. Um, at the beginning of his ministry, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor excuse me, has come. So it just means that when God's power is upon your life and you are being enabled by that to do things, then it's going to work. You know, because we don't want to be in a situation where we're just trying to do things through our own human efforts. And so um, we were out there praying this morning. I was just thinking of that scripture in, um, in the book of Acts, at the end of Luke, actually Luke's gospel, where, where Jesus said to the disciples, he said, listen, hey, um, pretty soon the Holy Spirit's power is going to come upon you. You know, power from, from heaven is going to come down upon you. We call it, that happened on the day of Pentecost. And so he said, but listen, don't, don't go out to try and you know, change the world on your own. Just stay right here. 
Stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere until the power of God comes upon you. Because then when you go out to tell everyone about me, it's going to work. Because they'll, they'll be ready to receive and you'll have the power of the Holy Spirit within you and upon you. That's what we call the anointing of God. So friends, we need that. You need that. I need that. Maybe you're at work and you're just talking to someone, you know, just sharing your story, what happened in your life. And, and you just know that it's cutting through and all of a sudden, you know, you know that they're receiving it. Why is that? Is it because you're a great storyteller? Well, it could be, but it's probably more likely because God is at work in, the, in their life. The Holy Spirit is doing something in them. That's the anointing of God upon that whole situation. And I encourage you, friend, pray for that. Pray for God's anointing and power in your life every day. This is the believer's job profile. You know, God's, God's and divine enabling upon us. The last thing, I said this would be brief, and the last one is compassion. And uh, I just think this kind of balances all of this because, you know, you can, you can be a great man or woman of God and do great things for God, but we need to have His compassion in our hearts to keep us uh, grounded and centered, you know, in, in our lives. And, you know, when, when Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd. At the sight of them, his heart broke like sheep with no shepherd they were. He went right to work teaching them. And, and of course, he was, you know, healing them from every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. And his heart was broken for the people around. And over and over, it says in the Gospels how this sort of thing happened. You know, when Jesus was, saw the crowd and he was moved, it says, with compassion towards them. And I think that's a quality that we all need to have, that we, we see a person in need and we are moved by that. You know, um, I actually remember uh, a very long time ago, someone um, prophesied over me and said, uh, this, this, is not, this was a person who was a recognized prophet, okay, this guy. And he said... Uh, God is going to put within you the heart of a shepherd. You know, and, and, and he said, you'll feel the hurts of the sheep. And it was, it was kind of significant because um, up to that point, uh, I hadn't been, I was pretty self-focused, you know. I was, I was a young guy, grew up, you know, cars, motorbikes, and all, all the stuff, music and whatever. I just, I didn't, to be quite honest, I didn't really care too much about anybody else except me. <laughs> you know, and this guy says this, you know, God is going to put within you the heart of a shepherd. You know, so maybe he's saying that for you today. But it wasn't long after, it was only a few months after that, and we'd moved to a different location and uh, took on, I, I, we started to help out with a, a church that was just being planted, a new church. And uh, I just knew, I, I just knew that God had, had done that change in my heart. And I started to be aware of what people were going through and, and you know, what their, their real needs were. It was just something, it had to be a God thing. That, that wasn't, that wasn't uh, just something that I'd figured out. It was a God thing, a, a change that, that God had done. So, um, I think we need to pray for compassion for people and, and sensitivity for other people. Anyway, that's, look, I don't know, maybe that's not you, but that's me. Anyway, I'm, I pray for that. And so 
just as we uh, bring this to a close, you know, so faith, vision, wisdom, boldness, integrity, anointing and compassion. They're, 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 look, the list could go on and on. There's a lot of other things as well you could add to that list. But what's your list? What, what are the things that you pray for that God will do in your heart, in, in your life? Uh, I, ju- I just want to mention those things as a, as a bit of a trigger to help us think about some things. But uh, they're things that, these are things that I know that God wants to, to create in, in my life anyway. And uh, maybe, maybe it'll be the same for you. But I, I want to ask you this morning, friends, maybe you're here and... Um, uh, maybe you don't even have a relationship with God. Maybe you, you've never really connected personally with God and, and asked Jesus to come into your life and, and take away the, the shame and the guilt and the, and the sin of, of your past. And, and maybe you're thinking this morning, well, maybe I need to do something about that. Maybe there's a little voice saying, you know, right now is the time to ask Jesus into your life. I wonder, can our creative team just come back up to the stage for a moment, please? I want to ask you today, is, is, is your life uh, grounded in Him and your future grounded in Him today, in, in the knowledge of who God is, in, in, a, in a relationship with Him? Because uh, that's got to be the starting point, that faith in God. And I said it earlier today, friends, that, you know, sometimes people struggle with faith. You know, they look around and they, we, we build our lives around what we see, don't we? we around the, the natural world and the things that we can see around about us. But in actual fact, God is wanting to look, us to look beyond that to what He says and to what He is planning for your future. And so oh, I want to ask you this morning, friend, is, are you building your life around what God says about you? And what, what about your view of the future? Do you... Do you are you able to accept that God actually has an amazing plan for your life? I really believe that. I, I really believe. Like Psalm 139 is one of my favorite verses. And it says that God says in Psalm 139, he says, you know, I, I saw every part of your life before you were born. I saw your substance before you were born. And he says, I wrote down every day of your life in my book before you had even one of them. Now, you've got you to you say I, either I believe that or not, but I want to tell you I believe it. I, I'm conv- convinced that God knows the future for your life and my life. And so my, my job, one of my jobs is to, is to get in line with what God is saying, say, you know, God, what's, what's, what's coming today? What's, what's for next week? What's for the week after? You know, where are we heading, God? Because he has your future in his hands. So I want to encourage you this morning just to look to God in that and allow his future to begin to be visible in your life. So you are wonderfully made and God shaped you with his call in mind, his call upon your life in mind. That's the way he shaped your whole life. So um, I love this thought. You know, God says that there is an ideal day to be saved. The Bible calls it a day of salvation. It says there is a, there is a day to be saved or to, or to come to God. And then it says that would be today. So like today is the day. <laughs> There's an ideal day. And he said that's, that's today. So I'm asking you this morning, friend, you know, where are you at with God? Um, is, is, is this, has that day come for you? That day to say, stake your claim with God and say, yeah, today, you know what? I'm going to turn things around from today. 
I'm going to set my focus and my vision and my heart towards God. I'm going to run after Him and His purposes. Come on, can we stand up just for a moment?